certainly a, a prophet is not accepted in his own town kind of experience being home uh, and being with a bunch of people who have known me for a long time in this particular context. But I, I love, I mean, I love the idea of being here and celebrating Mass at a place and on an occasion when Central was such a formative place for me in so many ways. You know, like I really don't think I would be a priest if I hadn't gone here. Uh, and, it's, and so how, that, how the Lord worked that all out is kind of mysterious and, and beautiful to me. Uh, but it's also the 10-year reunion is a really interesting thing. Uh, in Butte, they take reunions very seriously. Everybody shows up to their reunions, and it's just like, you know, reunions all summer long, 60-year reunions. Almost the whole class is there unless they're dead. And, uh, and it's, it's awesome to see. But the, So the 10-year makes us feel like simultaneously old and really young at the same time. So uh, it, it's obvious we're not youths anymore. We're not the kids anymore. Uh, but at the same time, it's only been 10 years. That's, and whenever I mentioned that I was my 10-year reunion, especially as a priest, people are like, well, you're a little baby. Um, <laughs> so it, it's kind of this interesting experience. But definitely not a kid anymore. Like when I, work with, when I work with high school kids, you know, I'm already annoyed with them. So I feel like obviously I'm a different generation than them. You know, like they don't read and they don't think deeply and, you know, they play too many video games and watch too much TV. But that... But, so my judgment kind of makes very clear that I'm of a different generation. I'm not thinking like them anymore. Um, so, we've, in, that, in that sense, we've grown up. Um, we're not young anymore. Which is, I think is why it's fitting that the readings today were on death. Um, I don't know if it's the time already to think about that. But, I think confronting that, uh, confronting the fact that the world is, is marching on that we need to enter into this life in a very real way um, is what these readings are good for us for. Um, so whenever we confront death, whenever we meditate or contemplate on that, inevitably we contemplate suffering. Because um, that's really, that's really what, what makes death a thing that we hate. Not the fact that... Um, not the fact that so necessarily someone is no longer here, but the fact that suffering is always tied in with that, that there's something terrible about it. There's something unnatural about death. There's something perfectly natural, but there's something totally unnatural about it as well. Um, I think that's suffering. <clears throat> so in the readings, it talks about the woman who suffered at the hands of many doctors, that she spent all of her money on these doctors, and she uh, came away nothing but worse. She came away worse after that whole experience. Um, and I think... It's a great spiritual analogy for us. Like, what, what are those things in the world in which we put all of our hope? What are those things that we're just kind of hoping are going to make us happy? Uh, that aren't God. You know, like, what, what are we putting all of our money into? What are we putting all of our time into? What are we putting all of our energy into? Uh, thinking that that is what's going to satisfy us. Whether it's, you know, pleasure or power or honor or wealth those are kind of the four classic worldly temptations um, none of which are terrible in themselves none of, they're actually all good in themselves but 
they are not satisfying in the end. They will never satisfy our hearts. So, the gospel tells us that the synagogue official comes and is informed that his daughter has, has died. This great kind of injustice of the death of a little one. You know, like there's just nothing good about that. Uh, there's something totally unjust there that the world has, in a sense, betrayed us when you see something like that. Uh, we see that in our country all too often recently with school shootings. There's just like something so deeply evil about taking someone's life before they've had a chance to live. I just did a funeral for a woman who, when she was 16 years old, she got in a car wreck. And it, it paralyzed her completely, top to bottom. She couldn't talk. She couldn't do anything except make facial expressions. But she was totally cognitively intact from the time she was 60 until she died when she was 76. All she could do was make facial expressions to communicate to the people around her. Couldn't move. And so something, something like that just makes us think that there's something wrong with the world. There's something unjust happening here. But then, we think, then, then if we push deeper into it, like, what... Why, why do we want this life? What's, what makes this life worth living then? So like, Jesus raises that girl back from the dead and sends her on her way. You know, she, he raises her to a, a natural life. So she continues on with her natural life. Um, so what's the point of it? Like, she, so she can live another 60 years and hopefully, you know, get married and have a couple kids. Uh, hopefully get a good job, maybe. What, so what's the point of this life? Why do we actually want to be here? Albert Camus is a, a philosopher who said that the, the world is absurd, and it's made more absurd by the fact that we are reasonable people who want it to make sense. Uh, so like we, we want the world to be this great, reasonable cosmos, but it seems at times to just be totally absurd, and then, it makes, and then, it, and then we kind of go crazy thinking about it. Um, trying to make it make sense. Uh, and if you think about it, apart from God, then that is what it is. Like, if, if there's no God, then that is what the world is. It's just, it's just chaos that makes just enough sense to make us go crazy. Uh, but obviously in the gospel, we're told that that's clearly not what the world is. That this world is worth living in. It is worth bringing little guys into. It's worth, it's, it's worth the struggle. There's that in, in the end, it's fundamentally good. And why is that? Because of love. Love is the only thing that makes this world worth being in and, and makes life worth living. And not only does it, it make, make it worth living, it makes it beautiful and good and deeply powerful. But that's only if we live a life of love, like a real life of love. I mean, a cheesy, stupid life of love like, like we sing about in songs. But, but a love that's, that suffers for the one that it loves. Uh, and the Lord is the one who shows us that. He is the one who gives us the model of love when he dies on the cross and rises. He teaches us how to really love and, and selflessly love um, everyone in the world. Not just those who love us back, but those who are incapable of loving us back, those who hate us, those who want to persecute us, 
That's the life that we're called to live as Christians. And it's the only life that brings true, deep meaning to the world. It's the only life that actually answers the question of suffering and death with any real meaningful answer. There's no other worthwhile answer other than love. Love is the only thing that makes suffering worth it. It's the only thing that makes suffering meaningful. And so, as we come to this kind of milestone in our life, it's good to meditate on these things. And, and, and like, we've got, still got lots of time. We're still young. Move out into this world. Live lives that are actually meaningful. Lives that are actually full of love. Real love. That's willing to suffer.